Hello, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lucy. Welcome to the 11th episode of Tudoriferous, the fortnightly biographical podcast that examines the lives in Tudor era. And today, Edmund Dudley. He is an Edmund, isn't he? He is an Edmund. It's mighty good. I'd only written down Dudley. <laughs> <laughs> I know people were expecting Edmund and, or Edmund Dudley and Richard Empson. Mm. But I've had to separate them. Just doing Edmund Dudley, I ended up with 42 pages of notes that I then had to cull. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <It> was... <laughs> I don't think I've ever had that many. And if I've oh, got... <laughs> my husband's like, what are you doing, writing a thesis? <laughs> it's like, no, but he's busy. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I wasn't sure we'd find much about them at all. That's why I, we plonked them together, because we thought... We thought it could just be the one, yeah. Yeah. All right, well, excellent. And even then, I think our recording is going to be quite a bit longer than normal, but I will, like with Sir Edward Poynings, just start cutting out things that I don't <laughs> think people will want to hear. But before we get on... Yes, we've had a, an email. We have quite a few emails, and they're all very lovely, and thank you very much. And this one's very nice as well. It says, I'm really enjoying the podcast. I love the deep dives you're doing and the rapport you're building, and thanks so much for all your hard work. So that's nice. And who is that? This is Amy Tector. Oh, and, nice. Yep. Yeah, um, but she, her problem is that we we use the language of discovery during the John Cabot episode rather than the language of invasion, which is which is effectively what it was. At least it would have been had he got off yes. the damn boat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think I did say that when the Pope decided to cut the world in half he didn't actually take into account the fact that there were people in it already quite happy doing what they were doing. And they didn't particularly yes. want to be Spanish or, or Portuguese. But yes, no, mere culpa, which, yeah, I should have made it clearer that the, you know, it's, it's none of our damn business. We shouldn't be going over and just sticking flags in other people's countries. I'm sure when we get to Raleigh, Drake, and plenty of others, we will have a lot more to talk about being an invasion. In fact, Cabot barely got off the boat. And I was thinking about it, actually. <laughs> Who knew he was there? I mean, we, there was such, Probably nobody. Yeah, so such a big fuss in Bristol and mad English people were chasing him and things. But I bet the number of people in America who actually knew that he'd arrived or in Canada. It might have been zero because he didn't see anybody. Well, there were the people who quickly put the fire out and ran into the undergrowth. Oh, did they but, actually run? I thought he had come across, they had left for a bit. Well, they might, they might have done, but the fire had only just been put out, so they might have seen okay. him and thought, well, let's see how this goes. But yeah, yeah other than that, he may, nobody may have known he was there. But anyway, yes, yeah. we should have, I should have made it clearer that it was not his place to go and claim other people's countries. And we certainly will make that very clear when it comes to Raleigh, Drake, and if we're doing, um, Patreon episodes, if we do other people who've got nothing to do with England but happen to be alive at the time, we could do Cortes and Pissarro mm -hmm. and also uh, Montezuma and look at it from the other side as well. Ooh. So Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah. Amy, thank you very much for your email. And oh, yes, thank you. Try to do better next time. <laughs> <laughs> we also got an email from 
Kirsten Treber. She loves the episode. Thank you very much. And she asked if we would consider posting the words to the song at the end from every episode. So we are going to do that. Lucy is our lyric writer. <laughs> so she has all of them. So we will put those on the website. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Right. Quiz. Now, unfortunately, the quiz. <laughs> <laughs> and it seems such a long time ago as well. John De- John DeVere. Do you even remember him? <laughs> uh, Oxford. I do remember some stuff about him. Honestly, not much. And I spent uh, quite a bit of my week doing research. So my brain is full of that right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, give it a go anyway. But let's give this a shot. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Question one. Mm-hmm. What two meanings could the word terment have? Terment was, oh gosh. Okay. So this had to do with the fact that his brother and his father were beheaded for treason. Mm -hmm. So it could have been moving the bodies or putting, claiming the heads and putting them with the bodies. That's right. Yeah. Perfect. Number two, what relation was Devere's, sorry, what relation was Devere's wife to Warwick the Kingmaker? (laughs) Margaret Warwick. His sister. And I thought that was so... Everybody else got the daughters and he got the sister. (laughs) And we never talked about how old she was in comparison to him. Yes. Do we know? I mean, she might have been a much younger sister. There might have been lots in between. I would hope so. Because he wasn't very old. No, he wasn't. He was 19, I think, from what I can remember. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because we were talking about how he shouldn't have been given as a wardship. Mm, Yeah. Because he was too old for a wardship, but quite young. Anyway, number three, where was de Vere when he was besieged by the ineffectual Henry Bodrugan? Or Bodrugan. Mm. He holed up somewhere, and Mr. Bodrugan happily let all his people go out and buy food every day or do whatever. Yeah, I remember it, but I don't remember the location. Uh, it was St. Michael's Mount okay. in Cornwall. Right. Who, number four, who was the other famous prisoner in Hams or Am Castle. Oh, why are you asking me who? I know he escaped from jumping out of the wall, over the <laughs> wall, possibly committing suicide. Uh, I don't know who he was with, though. Oh, it's George Neville, George the Archbishop Neville. of York. Yes. Mm. Sorry, these are actually more difficult than they seemed when I was writing them. It was an easy one to end. <laughs> <laughs> Number five. Who was de Vere called upon to try on the 20th of November, 1499, in the court of his peers? And it had to have been such a joyful day for him. Sir John <laughs> Tiptoff, the man who executed his father and brother. No? Who were we talking about then? Oh, Ooh, a bit later than that, oh. I would think. Yeah, a bit later. I thought I'd put on a sad voice. I'd have said, oh, who do you think? But who do, who was tried in front of his peers with John de Vere as judge. I have no idea. Edward Plantagenet. Oh, <laughs> the poor little yes. Earl of Warwick. The Earl of Warwick, yes. Right. I was so, I was fixated on the fact that he got to take over revenge. <laughs> John Tim yeah, that would, that would have been, a, that would probably have been a better question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got three. <laughs> Or did it get two? (laughs) Uh, You got two. (laughs) Mm. Yeah, that's pretty pitiful. Sorry. It does seem a long time ago because we we, come clean. We did actually do them out of of order this time, didn't we? Because you hadn't got the 
the book for the previous one. Yes, so, the research materials. Yeah, so John Devere was a long, long time ago. It was last month. Yeah. Instead of just two weeks ago. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that you did pretty well to get to, I think. I'm not sure. I think I'd have been struggling had I not written them, written those questions this morning. <laughs> <laughs> ah. Okay. Okay. On with the show. Enough mm. quizzing already. Let's get on with it. Edmund Dudley. Yes, Edmund Dudley. I'm looking Dudley. forward to this one because this one's going to be quite different from other people. The last couple of people we've looked at, uh, Boynings and Devere. Yes. going to be quite different. He is definitely a different kettle of fish. Mm. When you pulled the card for Emson and Duddy, Dudley, like you, I thought we were going to find really nothing of import except a really corrupt accountant. Mm. That's all I had in my head. I could not have been more wrong. All oh, right. <laughs> We've got, have we got everybody wrong so far? Like, so far. <laughs> at least my opinion. No, no, no. We thought, I thought Earl of uh, Oxford was going to do well and he did get mm. Tudorlicious. Yeah. But I had read a fantastic book. It's called Henry's New Men, The Making of Tudor England from Stephen Gunn. I had been so focused on pointings that although I was noticing that Dudley was mentioned in it, I was like, okay, I'll deal with him later, deal with him later if I get him pulled. Then I started pulling out the information from this book and then doing further research on where he got the information from because he's got the most amazing reference section in this book. And then on top of it, going online and going through the English library and a few other places and discovering he was involved in way too much for me to be able to write an episode on him and include Empson in the same one and do him justice. So hmm. I split them. Otherwise, we'd be publishing an eight-hour episode. <laughs> right. Even with them separated, I'm still not going to be able to include everything Emben Dudley was involved in, or we will be here for way too long, and our listeners will never listen to us again. (laughs) While we will be covering a great deal of information, I do want to stress, but I had to leave a lot out. So I focused on actions that I felt spoke loudest to his character. So we could really get a feel for him rather than just a line item of he did this, then this, then this, then this. I'm also going to say outright, I am 100% biased by the end of writing this. (laughs) Oh, right. Well, I won't ask Pro. You'll figure it out on the wing, I'm sure. (laughs) I'm sure. One thing I don't know if our listeners are going to know is that the only thing I knew about him was that he was the grandfather of Robert Dudley, Elizabeth I's favorite. I didn't even know that. I didn't yeah. realize. Hmm. I was wondering whether there was any connection, but it just seemed that from the one was a sort of lowly accountant and the other one was Elizabeth's favorite. <laughs> yes. So I thought, no, it's, I mean, it's probably a common name. No, no. Yeah. It's, it's the grand. Robert's his grandson. Wow. Let's begin. Right. Come with me, if you will. Mm-hmm. We enter a room filled with shelves and drawers overflowing with paper. The fire is low in the expensive hearth, a nod to this gentleman's wealth. There are candles burning in sconces, lighting a desk that nearly groans under the weight of the paper. The man of the house is seated at his desk, writing while referencing another scroll. He doesn't look up, but waves you irritably to a chair. He continues his work as you sit quietly, getting more anxious by the minute as the man doesn't stop scowling. He finally puts his quill pen down and looks up at you. 
He says nothing. He just stares at you. After an uncomfortable few minutes, he finally speaks. We have evidence that you have conspired to take advantage of the king in refusing to pay the taxes assessed you. I will give you an option. You can either pay the assessed taxes with a further bond of £60 to pay for the cost of having you brought here, or you may go with the guardsmen to Fleet Prison until you are willing to pay. But good sir, you say, I do not own the land or houses assessed to me. They belong to my lord. I only rent from him. That is not the question we are here to determine, he replies. Since you are obviously not willing, the guards will take you to the prison to think over your choices. Good day. The guards enter and you are roughly escorted from the room, pleading that you do not have the money to pay and it is not your property. Right, I'm I'm assuming then you're not for this man. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> right. Oh, that sounds that sounds terrifying. Oh yes. Edmund Dudley, born approximately 1462. His father was John Dudley, the second son of John Lord Dudley de Sutton. That was a Lancastrian baron. Edmund did not come from what you would consider common stock. We know that his mother was Elizabeth Bramshot. She was co-heiress of her father's estate. This meant that he himself would inherit through her four manors, not exactly a poor man. So while he is a new man, he is not poor and technically not a commoner. Dudley, when compared to the rest of the new men, as author Stephen Gunn calls them, was younger. He went to Winchester University and then to Oxford, possibly because his uncle, William, was the Chancellor of Oxford. William was also the Bishop of Durham. Again, Dudley was not without high relations. In the 1490s, Dudley, in his late 20s, early 30s, was impressing people as a Grey's Inn lawyer. I think we need to explain a bit about the inns here, because I had no idea what I was talking about. I thought <laughs> for a second he was like a corporate law person. In Canada and America, inns are hotels or motels. But when we speak of Grey's Inn during the Tudor era and today, but not in the same sense... It isn't a motel or hotel. It is one of the four inns of court. In the Tudor era, there were actually five. Sergeant's Inn was dissolved in 1877, but it may have been the source of the senior lawyers or barristers called Sergeants at Law. Yeah, I've not heard of Sergeant's Inn. No, it's been gone for a long time. Mm -hmm. These are professional associations for barristers in England and Wales. There are four. Gray's Inn, Lincoln's Inn, Inner Temple, and Middle Temple. They have disciplinary functions over their members, and every lawyer must be a member of one of them. Don't think of these as offices, though, or even really a school. In the Tudor era, they did train lawyers, but you were expected to almost be apprenticeshiped to a lawyer. And their training was expected to take 12 to 14 years. Yes. Yes, it's quite a while. Yeah. These buildings contained libraries for both general and legal books, dining facilities, a church, and accommodation for students, members of the order already, and their servants. The inns evolved from earlier guilds of law, much like a trade guild, 
While Gray's Inn only has records back to mid-1569, correspondence and records from elsewhere placed Dudley there for his training. So we are back in the 1400s. I did read an interesting little snippet about the inns that none of them will profess that their records begin prior than anybody else's so that they don't end up with a hierarchy. Right. So nobody can proclaim that they were the first inn. I don't know why Hmm. that's important, but it's something that they all do, which I thought was kind of neat. Edmund was important and impressive in that he was able to interpret statutes. And I say that with very clear bunny quotes. Some of his interpretations that I saw seem more like twisting the law rather than keeping with the intent of the law. So was he... Was he doing this right from the start? It's yes. not just he was doing this for Henry VII's? Not for Henry VII right at the start. Mm. He started as a lawyer for London, for the city of London, and they loved you him sort for of think it. Of, yeah, well, I was going to say, yes, you think of him as manipulating the law for the king, mm-hmm. but I didn't. I wasn't quite sure whether he was a dodgy character beforehand, or, and that's why Henry took him on uh, he's a... or whether he became dodgy under henry but mm. i'm sure we won't be i'm sure we'll find out yeah it's hard mm. when i was reading through some of the interpretations that he did and some of the legal hoops that he created at this time he doesn't seem to be evil yet <laughs> ultimately <laughs> when it came down to it it felt like this man was quite evil <laughs> Every historian that I read mentions that Dudley did the first known reading of Quo Warranto. This specific legal wording is the procedure followed by the Crown to challenge private jurisdictions. He was compelling. Some people said forceful. This is one of those times where you're doing research and you start asking if the word compelling was in the source material that got lost, or if every single historian attempts to use the same grammar. Because after you Mm. read like 20 of them and every single one say compelling or forceful and no other word is used, (laughs) I don't know, it was like a secret language. Well, compelling can mean two different ways. I mean, he can be a compelling personality, which is quite a a good thing, isn't it? Or you can be compelling people, which is not quite so... Yeah. And depending on the tone of the paragraph that it was in, it did mean both for many of the historians. Right. In most biographies and mentions of Edmund, he is called compelling specifically for his readings and his debates. He won practically everything. He was able to bring people to his side or his way of thinking on practically everything. But Dudley right now does not appear a malicious manipulator yet (laughs) he was more of an advocate for justice and law than he was for compassion so he was more this is the law this is the law this is the law i don't really care about what effect it actually has on you you're breaking the law in regards to pity he is known to have the opinion and i quote that it shouldn't be given at all times to all them that needeth it lest justice would cease. Yeah, you can sort of see see his point there. I mean, justice is follows the law. It doesn't follow... If you start throwing compassion in, then some people get compassion, some people don't. Depends which judge you look after. Yeah. 
I suppose you need the law to be the law to protect people. But only if it does protect people. Yeah. (laughs) I find it interesting that he put this in when he was younger, Mm. just because it's so opposite of the way he is later. Dudley entered his first marriage to Anne Windsor in 1494. They had one daughter. His second marriage, though we don't know what actually happened to Anne, was somewhere between 1500 and 1503 to Elizabeth Gray. was unable to find a record of this marriage, But it is the marriage that produces John Dudley that we will have to include in a later season, who turns out to be the father of Robert Dudley, who we spoke about earlier, Elizabeth's favorite. He had two other sons by Elizabeth, Andrew and Jerome. Now, this is something I wonder at. Edmund is only the son of a knight. He's the grandson of a baron, the son of a knight, but a knight that's only just wealthy enough to send him for an education and then leave him on his own. And I'm going to ask you, because I wasn't able to find any rules here. Do you know if a younger son of a younger son is still considered honorable enough to marry into the nobility? I wouldn't have any idea. I mean, I don't I don't move in those sort of circles. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't find anything. A younger son of a baron, yes. Hmm. I found that everywhere. But when you get to a younger son of a younger son, and they're that far removed, I didn't find another example. Yet Edmund Dudley manages to marry first Anne, who is the sister of the first Baron Windsor, Mm. and then Elizabeth Grey, who is the daughter of the first Viscount Lyle. Maybe he really is compelling and forceful. Well, that's what I started thinking. If he's not entitled to marry women of that rank, with his actions that we're about to continue to talk about, and I have... I ended up with some serious concerns that there was some shady backroom dealings that got him married to these women if he wasn't entitled. Because hmm. at this point, he's also broke. He doesn't have any money. All he has right. prospects, but no money. Yeah, but you don't you don't bank on prospects, do you? I mean, the, no. Hmm. Like, he's it not is. even a knight. He is a lawyer. That is it. Hmm. It does sound as if he's been... Uh, Twiddling the system a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah. Mm. Edmund's relationship with London, like I said, started off very promising. He obtained the position of undersheriff in London courts from 1496 to 1502. It was even said that he heard cases with favor of the citizens. People liked him. In 1503, Mm. he was just about to step up to the sergeant's inn and become a senior lawyer as a sergeant at law, which was what the title was, when he left his practice. Instead, he had come into the notice of Henry VII. So he moved to politics and presided as Speaker of the Commons. Do we know how Henry noticed him? I'm assuming that Henry was very keen on the courts because some of the stuff that would be tried would be things he would have put forward. Hmm. But in 1504, so this is two years after he's been working with London, he made the sideways leap into royal service as a full-time royal counselor for King Henry. The goodwill he built with the London citizens evaporated entirely in very quick order. Was that because he joined the court or because of something? Because of what he does. Right, okay. So now as Speaker of Commons, working for the King, he rejected London's proposed legislature. 
Then he added insult to injury in passing two acts that were prejudicial to London's historical privileges. Mm. He took away their rights. Two years later, he further enraged the city when after he became specifically the king's negotiator with the city, so he's been promoted, he attempted to dictate the appointment of sheriff, which is the city's ancient prerogative, and then he extracted 3,333 pounds, six shillings, eight pence for confirmation of the city's charter, and then took even more money from the townsmen for the same purpose. Mm, yeah, you can see why he's not popular. I know <laughs> London was, was very keen on its independence, wasn't it? Independence from yes. court. Yeah, and yeah. he's clawing that back from his compelling readings of mm. the law. <laughs> yeah, well, like, yes. I mean, you can see. I mean, do they lose all independence? Of, um... They don't lose entirety of their independence. Oh. There were a few things that they'd always had a right to, like naming the sheriff. That was always their right. They could elect their own mayors. It looked like what the acts that were passed were trying to do was make sure that the king had a say. Because London at this time was very powerful in the kingdom. Mm. Whichever way London led, that's usually the way the rest of the country was going. So I think Henry was trying to impose his own choices. Right. When Henry's main minister, Bray, once a servant of Margaret Beaufort. <laughs> when he died, the vast range of his jobs were required to be split up to many people. It makes me think of people that chronically say they're overworked and nobody believes them until they have to hire four people to do that same job when they leave. <laughs> yes. Edmund was one of the so-called new men that fit into one of those positions. He had to have been impressive because within two years, he was the president of the king's council. Yeah, I mean, there's got to be something something in him, isn't it? I mean, he's not, yes. just, he's not just sort of manipulating his way up. He must have so something in his personality that yes, shows... Yes, charisma. Yeah. He's obviously incredibly intelligent. Mm. I'm not sure if I'm going to get that across here, but I do want to stress, like, this man was brilliant with the way he managed to manipulate the system. I just wish he had used it for a different purpose. Mm. Right away, when he became president of the King's Council, you can find his handwriting in the account book showing the money he compelled, again. In this case, it came across very much as extortion from Englishmen for the King. We will look at the only surviving portrait of Dudley at the end of this episode, and he and Empson are painted with King Henry VII. It's the only painting that I've found that has the king with others in it. We can't say that, that there were more. That well. I mean, you might expect yeah. family or, yeah, but to, to, be paid, to be painted with your, what's effectively your accountant. Yes. This seems very so bizarre. I'm guessing that there were more painted and we just, they didn't survive. Mm. But it does seem odd that, the one that survived is him with the king and Empson, and it's quite a cozy little group, implying a closeness that you wouldn't normally expect. Hmm. Mm hmm. Now that is very strange. I mean, it sort of makes me think of one of those photographs you get with the CEO beaming, surrounded by his workers. But, <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't imagine them. that Henry, Henry was beaming, but uh, mm -mm. that was very strange. Within four years, 
Dudley managed to extract an exorbitant sum, £219,316. From whom? From all of the Englishmen. All right. Anybody he tried and did bonds. When I say this is exorbitant, this is staggering. It's roughly two years' revenue for the crown from the entire population, its independent lands, and its investments. And he succeeded in pulling that out of individual people. Mm. Truly dodgy. He sold offices, which was common. We can't say that's new. He sold wardships and marriage rights. Still illegal, though, is it? Selling offices? I'm... I'm not sure. Or is it a bit bit of a grey area? There is a grey area. At this point, simony was not allowed in the church, but it doesn't say anything about it in lay offices. So it may it have... Still, it still went on. Yeah. I mean, I'm doing Pope Alexander at the moment. Oh. And it's, 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 a, it's a big thing. Okay. <laughs> he also sold wardships and marriage rights, again, common. Where he diverts from normal practices are the fines for supposed offences. Proof was not required in many, if not most, instances. He fined clergy and heirs to confirm their estates and inheritance, so he was fining them just because they expected to get what was their due. He would imprison people... So, what would it be his... I mean, how would he explain this? What He's asking them for money because they want... What's due to them? His argument was, basically, when we go back to that quo warranto, Mm. was that ultimately the king owned all of the land. So you had to pay a fee to the king to accept the land that you should have gotten. And when I say finding clergy, when one bishop died and another bishop moved into that place, he was supposed to get the land that that bishop was entitled to. And he fined them for it. Yes, you can have it, but you need to pay... 50 pounds, 500 pounds, whatever he felt was the right amount. Right, because there was, yeah, I know this, that's obviously changed quite a lot then, all the slant of it has, because I know when uh, George Duke of Clarence and Richard, they were trying to get their own land from their wives' mm-hmm. land, because that would be theirs, and yes. not something that had been given to them by Edward IV, which Edward IV could then take back. They could then say, this is ours. I mean, obviously, they got it through some fairly dodgy ways of (laughs) extracting it from their mother-in-law. But That poor woman. (laughs) Yeah, but obviously, it's it's changed then. Well, this is after that time, and Dudley has now argued that, no, originally all the land was the king's anyway. Right, okay. He's making, we can think of it as, uh, do you guys have probate? Where somebody Mm. passes away and you have to pay death duties? You yeah, can yeah, think yeah. of it as them paying probate, except it didn't exist well. at this time. Is it? Mm. I'm not sure. I haven't, thankfully, knock on wood, I haven't <laughs> gone through that. Dudley would imprison people on ideas of offenses and then leave them there. Now, remember, they have to pay to be imprisoned. Mm. It wasn't a state-funded thing. So somebody was paying to be the warden who... So he's now bought his office as a warden, and then he makes money off of the people that he imprisons. So this ideas of an offence, is that that they are thinking of doing this offence in the future? Possibly. Or, or mm. you know what, this offence I believe happened. Right. Both. 
It's become quite a totalitarian state all of a sudden, isn't it? Very much so. Hmm. On top of him imprisoning people, when they got fed up and escaped, he would then fine both the warden and the prisoner for the escape. Hmm. Yeah, I had heard that, yeah, you could be fined. It was your duty to to do your job properly and you were Mm -hmm. fined for not doing so, yeah. Yeah. So he's first finding them and then finding them again because they didn't want to stay in prison because he hadn't called them. It felt like he was leaving people in for an extra long period of time just so he could get the fines for escaping. Hmm. He wasn't bringing them to court. And since it wasn't in a regular court, there was no appeal. They couldn't get out. He also sold pardons for both real and imagined crimes. Hmm. Since many of the subjects didn't own land, he also went after merchants for customs evasion. And there are more than a few hints that some of the merchants' contraband goods were planted before the fine came down. (laughs) I'm trying to think of a modern equivalent to him, but I can't think of anyone who's been quite that bad recently. (laughs) No. Dudley was also more than willing to wield the hammer in person. Author Horowitz has a quote of him allegedly allegedly telling a London man who wouldn't pay for his pardon, quote, agree with the king or else you must go to the tower. End of story. Mm. And he went to the tower. <laughs> well, the majority of historians I did read generally approve of the idea of the new men, possibly due to the fact that we're finally seeing merits of ability beginning to trump the luck of birth. I really couldn't find a way to approve Dudley. <laughs> No, I mean you. You can you can have merit, and yes. use it use it for, for ill. Yes. Can't you? Yeah. The records yeah. we have of him come across as a very hard man, willing to put people in prison for money, and in some cases, just self advancement. He didn't mm. actually get much out of them, except it made him look good. And now we come to the council learned in the law. We have mm. mentioned it a few times. Mm-hmm. It's not new when Dudley was appointed as the president in 1506. But it did take a turn. The council, which had begun in 1495, so 10 years into Henry's reign, was was controversial. It was polarizing. It was created for a few purposes. One was to maintain or increase the country's revenue by enforcing payments of debts. Remember, the country is virtually bankrupt at the time of Henry taking the crown. Second was to take every advantage of king's prerogative rights and to defend the king defend the king's position and authority as a feudal landlord. So we're going back to that quo warrantal. Mm. I may not directly own your lands, but in a feudal system you are my vassal, you owe me this. And that's so the, the, hi- the hierarchy Yes. Works its way up and then the buck stops with with Henry. Yes. And a lot of it had, I don't know if it had become more lax or if it was just being reinterpreted to give more power. But either way, this was Dudley's doing. It didn't start till Dudley became the president and really started pushing for things. The council was also, again, extrajudicial, meaning that it could pull cases out of a valid judicial court and be tried by the council learned by themselves. Mm. While Bray was in charge of the council, it was a concern, but not feared or hated. It didn't, it didn't have the perception of being 
evil or manipulative or dangerous yet. When Dudley took over for Bray, the system of bonds and recognizance was increased so drastically, and with Dudley and Richard Empson working together, you could almost call them a virtuoso <laughs> in extracting money from the king's subjects. They weren't mm -hmm. going after systems or taxes. They were going after specific people. Each and every person that went through the council's purview coughed up at least cash, some lost lands, some lost goods, and sometimes they even lost their freedom. Mm. It got, yeah, I was, I was very, when I was reading about it before, I was thinking about, you know, Kafka's The Trial. It mm -hmm. seemed very... <laughs> yeah, very, very dark. It seemed precisely that. The funds were mm. considered as bail for those that could find a legal reason for imprisoning or a bond for good behavior on suspicions for these issues. So what I'm saying there is it was bail if we could say, yes, you did this and we have some proof. But it was a bond if we have absolutely no proof, but we believe you did it. The bond didn't have to have evidence. Or it's convenient It's convenient for us to think that you did it because then I can get the money. Yes. So I suppose they didn't really need to think that they'd done it. They just needed to say that they thought that they'd done it. Pretty much. Hmm. Edmund was the one interpreting these laws, stretching their meaning to the absolute limit to find reasons to be able to extract bonds or recognizance. I can't say that word either. Yeah, recognizance. <laughs> recognizance. It's yeah. yes. Bonds or recognizances. And then you've got Dudley also expanding its writ. A writ is a dictated or defined area of expertise or control. He's mm. expanding that. Areas that originally they couldn't touch or couldn't approach, he's now got control of everything. Now there was nothing that they couldn't take over. They could pull from anywhere, no matter what it was. The court even began to hear suits between parties as if they were like a small claims court in Canada or a civil court elsewhere. And mm. both people would pay a fee. The person judged to have won would pay a fee to have the case heard. The person judged to be in the wrong paid damages and then paid a fee and penalties to the council. On mm -hmm. top of that, both of those people would be trying to bribe the judges. <laughs> I can't help feeling, because the history of, history of uh, Henry VII is quite neglected compared to Henry VIII, mm -hmm. If these two people had been working under Henry VIII, we'd have heard a lot more about them. They would be considerably more famous. Probably. But because they're working under Henry VII, they're sort of forgotten. Yeah. And they, they shouldn't be, because I think this gives the next generation ideas of what they can do. Mm. It also gives the next generation an awful lot of money. Yes, it does. To squander. Yep. The council learned became so successful and busy that more men had to be recruited. So they didn't have enough people. And then they had to separate it by making uh, dedicated commissions created to handle separate types of cases and separate areas of the country. So they originally were just doing London and then they slowly took over all of England. The council was most feared because it was extrajudicial. It had the stain of legality because it had the approval of the king and all of Dudley's machinations and manipulation of the legal verbiage. But there were no appeals as it bypassed any original or, what would you call it, historical judicial process. 
Yeah, you were you were sort of plucked out of the judicial process, weren't you? Yes. And then dropped into the council. Yes, to the point where there was mm. no appeal. The idea was that you could appeal directly to the king, but the king never heard any of them. So you would put... I presume they went through Dudley and Empson. Yes, probably. That was the the sort of shutter. Shutters went down at that point. Yep. (sighs) The council went so far that it debated the church's ability to offer sanctuary, something that had been a right for centuries. If you had done something wrong and you got to a church, you could claim sanctuary Mm. and stay in that church. You'd have thought that Henry would be quite sympathetic to that because he used sanctuary didn't he when he was being shipped over to yes he did. To Saint-Malo, yeah and he was about to be shipped over to england he quickly he pretended to be ill and then quickly legged it to a church yes, yes. so they attacked that mm. and in a few cases got people out of sanctuary to be tried right Dudley managed to find several prelates of the church as well these finds were for escapes from church prisons This is another thing we might find difficult to understand. The church had its own court, legal court, for any crime committed by clerical personages. This included nuns, monks, priests, deacons, bishops, etc. So it's completely outside of the lay court, and you could not try a church personage in a lay court. It's completely separate. Am I right in thinking they couldn't be executed either? I don't think... Uh, I don't know of any of them being executed, but I didn't honestly look specifically I've into that. I've got a that. feeling they, yeah, I've got a feeling that was, because sometimes if you've got a group of people and some of them are clergy, the clergy aren't executed, but the others are. Well, the clergy would be pulled mm. from the regular legal court and put to the church's mm. legal court. So maybe the church's legal court doesn't have executions. Mm. I don't know. Here's the funny part. So the... Lay courts have absolutely no authority, but people would escape from these prisons because they are prisons, and Dudley managed to find a way to find the wardens for those escapes, even though they weren't the purview, they were in the purview of the church, not the crown. Hmm. And he still managed to find them. Is the church, in this great um, feudal hierarchy, is the church considered under the... King? uh, The king's authority... Yes and no. Because you'd think the church church goes straight to the Pope at this time. It could bypass the king, surely. Yes, but there is... If we go back far enough, you get to King John, who was basically the worst king. Mm. He submitted England to become a vassal of the Pope. England seems to be unique during the Tudor England and prior in that the king could assign bishops. You'd still have to go get permission from the Pope, but the Pope just automatically signed off on it. So they were appointed by the king and technically not under his rule. They were sort of side by side almost in authority. Yeah, that's true. Because, yeah, I know um, Alexander VI wanted to make one of his people in England, the Bishop of Worcester, I think it was. And Henry got in touch with him and said, well, I'm terribly sorry, but my wife has already decided that her her, yeah. her confessor is going to be the Bishop of Worcester. And for a start, you think, is that really her <laughs> In England, yes. So she could, she could say yes. this? Yeah, the king and queen often did that. Yeah. Everywhere else. I was quite surprised that they could just say to the Pope, 
<laughs> yeah, it's already done. You're not having it. And yeah. England was unique in that. If you look at the other countries, all bishops and archbishops were chosen by the Pope. Or a delegation no. of cardinals. Not in England. No. In England, they got to choose their own. That's where you go back to um, Thomas Beckett and how much of a mm -hmm. damage that yeah. was. <laughs> if you want a more in-depth summary of this council, if you're interested, it really is actually some fascinating reading. I'd recommend the Oxford Dictionary, Oxford Dictionary of National Biography. It's online, and not only does it give a more in-depth description of this council, it also has a wealth of resources that it noted that pointed me to more information. And this particular article is free to read online. You don't have to pay for it like you had to or I had to for the other ones. Hmm. Next, let's talk about bonds. They were not new, but originally bonds were an agreement between two people or a subject in a court to pay a financial penalty if certain actions were not performed. You can think of this kind of as a warranty, but instead of you paying for a warranty for that thing to work properly, they would pay you if the product or the work failed. Right. More often than not, the bond was in securement of a loan. Again, I find mm. this really counterintuitive. You weren't able to pay me back the original sum, so now I'm going to tell you more money? You owe me more money? Yes. It is. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, this sort of thing carried on till debtor's prison in Victorian times as well, didn't it? That yes. You weren't going to put you in prison where you can't make any money while I c keep demanding that you give me money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, doesn't work. No. The Duchy of Lancaster had been for sometimes for some time using bonds in relation to contracts. If a certain building or action that they had ordered to be built or were paying to be built was not performed by the person on the contract or was not up to the standards that they had agreed upon, they would pay a financial penalty. Henry and Dudley took this and ran with it. They expanded this to the extremes. They imposed bonds. So we know that Henry was, this is all Henry. It's not that they were busy doing all these things and not telling him what they were up to. We think it is coming from Henry. We, hmm, <laughs> we don't know if it's coming from Henry, but he signed off on everything. Right. And he attended his councils. So when they were discussing all this, he would have been there. He, the King's Council for Henry Tudor, he had he needed a grasp on it. It never met without him. Mm. So he was there during all these discussions of what they were going to be doing. So it's not as if they were going to him and saying, oh, we've done this and this and this, and he, sort of couching it in, you know, making it all sort of soft and cuddly, and him not realizing just how awful it is. He knows, he knows know it, it all. Yeah, I he knows about it. I don't know if he knows exactly the way it was done or mm. how horrible it was for those people. I mean, if you think about it, if you have to go through the same gatekeepers that are doing this to you in order to appeal to the king, how much mm. of it actually got to the king? Mm. We we just don't know. Yeah, well, so I was wondering how much how much he knew. I mean, it makes a big difference to the way you think about Henry. <laughs> how much he knew, doesn't it? Yes, but. If this is what people assumed he knew, you can see why his popularity just plummeted. Mm. So gone. By taking this to extremes, what I mean by that is they started imposing bonds on people obtaining positions. 
now, not only did you have to pay your fee to become the garrison commander of somewhere, you also had a bond issued on you for the job being done to the satisfaction of the king. However, the majority of them at this time were found to be not well performed and the bonds were kept. So you just doubled your payment for that position. Right. Okay. There were general bonds for good behavior. Mm. Now, if you were under suspicion, or later in the reign, if you had money, you have enough money to have a private army. I'm going to put you into a bond of 500 pounds for good behavior to make sure you don't use those that army maliciously. I don't so know you, don't have to, you don't have to have done anything. There no. just seems to be the vague potential that you might do something and you have to yes. pay, pay up yep. to, to ensure that you won't. Yes. Right, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Bonds were especially useful now as a sale of office. If you wanted a position, you had to pay for it, but you also now needed to pay that bond. People would presumably pay what they would think would be a tiny amount of what they would get in the long run. If you were a warden, you'd pay a little bit knowing that you were going to get this much for all the wood, this much for all the food, this much for their, their room and board. It was like an investment. It appears that Dudley and Hussey, who we have now added to our list to cover after I found him in all of this, were very good at finding a way to say that the person had not done well at their job to be able to retain the bond for the king. And then they also required that people bribe the new men to put in a good word for the king to obtain that position. So it became a very corrupt auction for mm. the positions. Do we know of any specific um, stories about who was told that they weren't doing the job properly? Uh, the garrison commander that was right after Sir Edward Poynings mm -hmm. was one that paid a very large bond for his failure to maintain order right. uh, within months of him getting there. And we know for that position, they'd wanted Sir Edward Poynings to remain there, but he had decided he was too old and too ill. Was he the one that um, decided that he was going to save money by getting... Cutting all their wages. Rid of a load of people. Yes. Yeah. And firing people. Yeah, that was him. He right. may have saved his own money out of his own pocket, at least he thought he would, but he paid a very large fee to the king for that mistake. Hmm. And we know that multiple people had bid for that position. So you have two things you're doing. You're getting it's bribes from multiple... so corrupt now, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> it's really... <laughs> Yeah, so you've got all these guys like um, Emson, Dudley, Hussey, and a few others are getting bribes from each person who wants that position. And then mm. they're bidding on how much of a bond they're willing to put up for that position. And they're bidding for how much they're willing to pay for that position. It's extremely lucrative for these mm. people because the bribes were theirs to keep. The bonds and the payment were for the crown. But bribes yeah, you got, can't really. Yeah, you can't really. If you don't get the job, you can't go to someone and say, "You know that bribe I gave you, I yeah. want it back." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. In a single deal, Dudley managed a bid of a thousand pounds for a position. Mm. When you think that wealthy people were getting five hundred marks a year, five hundred pounds a year—that's massive. Mm. 
Another task for new men was to be commissioned as tax assessors and collectors in their respective districts. They were also commissions for these. Dudley was in Sussex, where he was also a Knight of the Shire, which I had to look up. A Knight of the Shire was a member of Parliament for this area. So this was a regular annual job before the tax assessors would be done every few years. Henry did it every year now. It was annually. And Dudley was so trusted by King Henry that he became the auditor for all the other districts as well. So he assessed his own and then audited everybody else's to make sure they got enough money out of everybody. Where was he finding time for all of this? This sounds like a hell of a lot of work. Yeah, Poynings was insanely busy, mm. and yet it seems like a number of the councillors were like this. They never did anything but this. Mm. Through these commissions, both Henry VII and Henry VIII took direct taxes without consent from Parliament that was technically required. If you remember the um, Magna Carta, mm. saying that you had to have Parliament's agreement for taxes, mm -hmm. Dudley found a way to get around that. He would, wouldn't By he? assessing them directly. Dudley also, like other members of the council, became a justice of the peace for a county. And he was the JP for Sussex. He was given authority to oversee the local nobles and peers, though he had no rank. God, that must have, that must have been immensely galling for them, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They'd have hated that. What did they call them? A jumped up upstart? Yeah. He spent his time after 1506 between Sussex and London to try cases that in many situations he himself had created. So he creates the case, and he tries the case. <laughs> and he gets money, whatever <laughs> and he happens. he gets the money. Yes. Yes. Oh, and he gets bribed to hopefully get it go the way the person wants by it both, to go. By both parties, presumably. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, other new men were also appointed as sheriffs in their given area. This is the one thing Dudley didn't get. It was deemed he was too valuable in gaining wealth to have been given this duty as it would pull him away from his financial responsibilities. <laughs> no one was safe from Dudley. Even the mayor of London and his sheriffs were held in prison while under investigation by him. I felt so horrible for Sussex. Consider this. We've already shown how corrupt he is. You can't get around it. There's no way you can say any of this was okay. Even at the time when this was happening, everybody was saying it was not okay. He was not a knight. He was not a noble. But for Sussex, he was knight of the shire, so he was their representative in parliament. He was a justice of the peace, so he was trying cases that he created. And he was also the tax assessor for the same place. Hmm. Poor Sussex. Like, who today would not think of this as a huge conflict of interest and prone to abuse? And, yeah, I was just about to say this. He's got a, a finger in every pie there, isn't he? Yeah. And the other mm. members of the Council Learned Law did not end up with this same power structure over a single area. They were split up. Part of it, I think, is because some of them had lands in other areas, so they had multiple areas that they needed to take care of. Dudley really had all of his land in one one basket. Hmm. So who, what could you do about this? I mean, were there lots of uh, attempts at rebellion against it? No. Because, because you didn't dare to, you just didn't dare to. No, he could bankrupt you. So who, yeah, and I mean, I was just trying to think who, who could fight against it. 
Nobody. Yeah. Nobody could. What a terrifying situation that. And if you think about it, got themselves into at this time. If you were bankrupted, you starved to death. There was no social system unless your family was willing to keep you, which we found with some of the, like the Dowager Duchess of Warwick. Nobody did. They end up in a nunnery, yeah. in a cell with nothing. Yeah, like um, Devere's mother. Mm -hmm. 63 she was, she was when she died, right? Penniless. Something like after that. After Richard yeah. took all of her stuff. Yeah. Mm. Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> Edmund had his fingers in every pie he could find. He was also part of a commission investigating customs fraud and establishing minimum prices for goods that merchants were selling for less and undercutting English merchants. So he went after the oh. Italian merchants, the Jewish merchants, even though, which I found absolutely ridiculous, the Jewish merchants were British subjects. They'd been there for centuries, but they still were right. Jewish. They weren't English. Hmm. Okay. This is this is not this is this is quite a depressing episode, isn't it? <laughs> it really is, and I'm so sorry, people. <laughs> I really by the end of this I really wanted to just sort of pretend this person didn't happen. I'm so glad we're getting this out and <laughs> I can stop thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> he was pivotal in the importing and exporting of goods, manipulating the trade and securing commodities. So he would hold back certain commodities until there was a higher demand so they could demand a higher price for it. And vice versa. He would saturate the market for external mm. merchants so that they had to sell for less in England. Mm. And he must have made a ton of enemies here. I was going to say, there's nothing good you can say about this man, is there? No. On top of actually physically manipulating the market, he also confiscated shipments that he felt were too large or not the right quality. He didn't get rid of them. He sold them. Yeah, I was going to say, I bet he sold them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he confiscated them, as well as demanding and getting large payments and debts for customs. By saying, you claimed that this cloth was only worth this, but I see I could sell it for this, so you actually owe us customs on a false price. Right. Mm. But then they couldn't sell it for that much. Mm. Were there any assassination attempts on this? Huh? No, no! Not one! Good grief! I kept waiting! Oh, yes. I was like, somebody's got to do something to this guy! Nope, not one. But he did go around everywhere with his own armed guards. I was going to say, there had to be somebody. He wasn't wandering about on his own, was he? Mm -mm. <sighs> he never went anywhere without being escorted. That's one of the reasons why I said the guardsmen were in his home in that come with me, is because yeah. even in his home, he had them posted outside his door, much like the king did, because he was so hated. He well recognized that nobody liked him. <laughs> Some people really get off on being hated, don't they? I don't understand that. No, no. thank you. I, I want everybody to like me. Yes. <laughs> if Dudley did not get what he demanded, he would automatically imprison the merchants until he did, sometimes just leaving them for years in prison. So they can't make any money. They're having to pay for somebody to imprison them. And he just left them there. He never, because it was extra judi judicial. Ugh. I know it's impossible to say that word, isn't it? <laughs> I, I, that word. I remember that from the from our first episode. <laughs> we couldn't say it because it was extra judicial. Yep. <laughs> they had no option but to wait until Dudley called them out of prison because he was the only one, or they were the only ones that were able to do it. Presumably, not 
you ordinary judge or couldn't do it. Yes, Dudley or the king. You had no other option. So you just sat there and rot. And in some cases, they did. Like, disease was rife. (laughs) No warrant was ever issued for this. And it was outside of the courts. So in some cases, people had no idea where these people went. So this is a case of your husband's there one minute, he's gone the next, and for years you can't hear from him? I mean, this could be Argentina or Russia or anywhere. Germany during the Nazis, didn't that happen quite often? People just disappeared in the middle of the night? And this was happening here. A single example, to give you an idea, is of Thomas Sanif. He's a haberdasher. And I got to look that up. It's a trader in men's clothing. Yes. So, well, do we still use the word haberdasher? Well, not much, but it's still around. Really? Oh, yeah. we don't have that here. I thought that was the best thing ever. <laughs> I was like, why don't we use that? Thomas was imprisoned until agreeing to pay 500 pounds for a pardon in a crime he did not commit. Dudley didn't have to prove he committed it. He just no. held Thomas at his own expense until he was willing to pay the price to get out of the prison. Mm. And we have the record of that one. Edmund and other learned men did customs and mercantile trading on the king's behalf. So not only was he dictating the prices, he was also doing it. So he would purchase stuff and then sell it on. Right. So it's another conflict of interests. Yes. And Mm. for Dudley, this was the infamous alum trade. Ah. He (laughs) was the organizer for all of the deals for alum. I'm guessing this is one of those times where we have to say, did the king know? We're, we're pretty sure he knew because he signed off on the accounts. Yes, I always got the impression that he was rather proud of how he'd, he'd got, <laughs> taken one, got one over on the Pope. I haven't oh, included I haven't included the Adam trade in Alexander's episode because I think it's more of a Julius type thing oh, for, okay. for, the, for the other Pope we're doing. But, uh, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I always felt he knew, but... Yeah, well, he was telling the Pope he didn't, except he was signing the bottom of the amounts coming into the court, so... Mm, He knew. He knew. (laughs) So, of course, this alum trade was not an official commission. It couldn't be official. No, it couldn't. Henry was to deny involvement. No, no, no. Otherwise, you'd be excommunicated. Yes. Mm. Which is a serious thing. I mean, I was thinking being excommunicated is more serious than being executed, really, isn't it? I mean, this is this is playing with your afterlife. Yes, and not only that. Um, oh gosh, we've got to have Bree on for a discussion about excommunication, mm-hmm. because from what I understand, if you were excommunicated, other people couldn't trade with you, or you couldn't buy things from them, you couldn't communicate with them, you couldn't make deals with them. All right, and sometimes whole towns were excommunicated, weren't they? Yes, mm-hmm. and if you were excommunicated, you couldn't have death. Rights done, you couldn't get married. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot more, more of a thing. Mm. Henry often kept Dudley involved in a number of positions and commissions that Dudley did not have official authority in. It was sort of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I can't claim I know this, but I need you to do this. Mm. I'm covering a great deal of what he did, but there is so much more that I just could not find either enough detail to include with any certainty or are we just going to run out of time <laughs> well we could take his we can use his um, methods and say well if if there wasn't enough certainty we're going to say he did it yes <laughs> <laughs> and find him accordingly <laughs> yes <laughs> oh man 
He was so proud of himself, too. He flaunted himself, whichever way you want to perceive it. Edmund used the title of king's counselor in the way an earl would use his earldom. Mm. It meant absolutely nothing, but he <laughs> used it. I suppose it was all he had, wasn't it? It was all he had. He wasn't even knighted. Who would knight a man like this? <laughs> he would use his power to aid his friends. A lot. So for one example. He had friends? He had friends. I think it's more people who had done him a good deed right, and he was doing a payback like and mm. got money either way. He arranged for the customs position of wear of the wools. And remember, wool is England's most profitable export. And keeper of the poultry counter prison, so another lucrative job, to a friend who was a grocer and a brothel keeper. This is who he put in charge of customs. <laughs> I was like, what cheek? <laughs> <laughs> he knew he could get away with anything by this point. Presumably. Anything. He probably was thinking, you know what I'm going to do? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put this bloke <laughs> in charge. Just just <laughs> see if anyone says anything. <laughs> we'll let the women search them. <laughs> <laughs> but you got to think, the king must have looked at that and gone, really? Really? <laughs> Dudley also used his position of power to arrange and direct the water supply to his house. This sounds so ah, silly. Yes, rings a bell. Mm-hmm. In the Tudor era, London did not have enough water. It regularly ran dry, completely dry. So people were having to use the filthy water of the Thames. Ugh. What they had done was put in aqueducts to other lakes that were on the outside, but again, those ran dry. There were so many people in London. Dudley tapped into those aqueducts, or aquifers, or mm -hmm. whatever they're called, the pipes. He, he went into the yeah. pipes and brought it directly into his home. He had running water in his home, whereas other people were going short. They had no water. It was so bad that much of the city was using rain barrels. To collect water mm. so that they wouldn't run out. And others were imprisoned for taking too much water. And yet he got to put running water with no no meter, no way of shutting it off. No restrictions. Right to his own mm. house. So while it doesn't sound that much when you're thirsty, it's pretty mm. big. Not to mention you can't wash. And that's just for that's for him. It's not I mean, there must be earls and people of the nobility in London. Who were in much, the, I mean, if there's no water, there's no water for anybody, is there? No, and he was able, because he tapped into it farther above mm. the city, he was tapping into it before it ever got to London, so he never ran out. And I didn't find, I'm sure there were probably some nobility that had this as well, but I didn't find any mention of it. I think it's because mm. people were so angry that this was mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> Dudley was the last of the king's new men to lead the commons as Speaker of the House in 1504. This year, Henry VII became gravely ill and worried about his soul. He worried so much that he had gone too far with his monetary schemes that he proclaimed that anyone who felt they were wronged could apply to a panel for restitution. That's going to be a lot of people. Oh, it was a lot of people. And wow. some did gain restitution. And Dudley was on that panel, giving back money. <laughs> 
I know. (laughs) Lucy just gave me a face. (laughs) I thought the same thing. I was like, so you're admitting you did wrong or or wait wait did did that panel he did hear... confess it in the end didn't it was it him or emerson I, um, emerson i can't remember now one of them did he makes a small Conf- confession in the yeah. end sort of mm. the king of course regained his health and when he recovered he went right back to his bad habits and quite a number of that restitution was clawed right back <laughs> oh god <laughs> <laughs> you got some of it back. Give it back. <laughs> you don't get to when Henry it. first comes to the throne, and when he's in Brittany, you can feel quite sympathetic towards him. He comes across as being, you know, a fairly decent, I think, he sensi- was. sensible person. Yeah, but he no longer has Jasper at this point, no. does he? He no longer has his wife, no, or his eldest son. They're all gone by the yeah. time Dudley. Dudley comes in right in the year that all of these people start dying off for Henry. Mm, when Henry's presumably quite emotionally vulnerable. Yes. I'm not trying to find excuses for him, but... No, but it is very marked, that line of where things started to change. Mm. The next year, Dudley was appointed as Chief Justice for the King's Forests. This was both administrative... That's a huge role, isn't it? It's a massive role. Mm. Okay, so I thought this was funny. I found out the forest doesn't necessarily mean wood. (laughs) No, it doesn't, no. So this could be parkland or hunting areas, but specifically one of the things he was doing administratively was supervising and dictating the amount of wood cutting that was allowed and the sales of that wood. He also had a judicial role in that he was trying those that violated the king's rights to lands in the forest, which could include poaching. That was a huge one. But also Mm. just poor people that couldn't afford to buy wood picking up sticks off the ground were being tried for taking the king's property. I thought, oh my god. <laughs> mm. like, these are fallen, broken branches that like, they're, they're sticks that elderly women are picking up so that they can keep themselves warm and you're now going to find them. Hmm. I tell you, he's not actually coming out of this episode well, is he? No. <laughs> You know what? I actually went looking afterwards when I read through what I had written down. I need to find something nice about this guy, and I couldn't. I couldn't find a no, single thing. You didn't take it. I was like, did he? Did he even kiss a baby? Yes, he <laughs> taking orphaned puppies. None of this. No, oh, he's a bit of a. Really, isn't he? <laughs> he really is. Yes. Oh my goodness. Right. You can imagine that, of course, the fines increased when he became comptroller of the forests although i didn't find source material that proved that i just had the feeling (laughs) since it seems to be his modus operandi yes (laughs) (laughs) when we think of his ability to find just about anyone i want to bring something up that i think will put nail in coffin Mm -hmm. bray yeah who dudley replaced after he died who was so highly thought of and trusted by the king and his mother. He was one of the ones from Brittany as well, I think, wasn't he? Yes. He was fined £5,600 posthumously. Hmm. For? He was fined after he was dead for allegedly infringing the regulations on wool exports. (laughs) You've got to to admire this bloke in some way, haven't you? (laughs) I mean, there's just nowhere he won't go. (laughs) No, I mean, he's finding somebody who everybody actually genuinely liked. Mm. (laughs) 
and he had no way of defending himself. He's dead. But something happened in his childhood, was it, that made him embittered? <laughs> no. I'm the younger son of a younger son, and I have nothing. I'm going to make everybody yes, pay. Literally. Yeah. I bet there was something. Mm. Yeah, so he took the money and lands from, from Bray's heirs on top of the the duties or the duties bonds for that the money for them to yeah. inherit yeah. in the first place. Yeah. Wardships. I really wanted to include mm. this. You and I have both mentioned wardships and how they can be bought, as well as the rights for the warder to arrange the marriage of the minor to the warder's advantage. Mm-hmm. Guess who's involved in the sales? Um... No, no, I can't think. Yep, Edmund. Not only was he involved in determining the prices that these children would fetch for the crown, he was actively involved in seeking out children to become wards. And in two cases, it was not because their father was dead. It was because their father was in prison because he had put them in prison. Because they're effectively dead, I suppose, by that point, aren't they? (laughs) Yeah. And since they're outside of the courts, he knows when they're going to get out. Mm. <laughs> what? He wasn't in charge of the wardships. I should mention that. Hussey, who I mentioned earlier, was master of the wards. But children whose father had died and the mother didn't matter or were in prison, they were taken from the mother at Dudley's behest and essentially sold to the highest bidder. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, if effectively he is selling children. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, he is selling children, and not just children. The man who won the bidding contest was, of course, supposed to care for and educate the child until the child reached majority. Mm-hmm. Under Henry VII's reign, there was a slight change. The wardens were not no longer entitled to the entirety of the income for those lands. So it used to be you paid a fee... You got the lands and you got all of the money off those lands. Now you basically paid a... Until the ward was old enough to take it on themselves, presumably. If there was anything left. That also changed. They had to successfully legally Mm. bid to get their lands back before they got taken from the ward. Yeah, so instead of just having whole control of those lands now, now the warder became a fee. They would be leasing the land for an annual fee to the crown. None of the income from the lands for the minority of the child would be given or held for the child, and that was originally the idea. The warder would take a portion, and a portion would be held for that child. Yeah, I thought, yes, and the warder was expected to... Look after the yes. land well so that they it would be in good condition and would bring money in for your yeah. little ward, wouldn't it, once they become of age? Went totally out the window. Mm. So it's then just something you buy, you buy the child, you you, you, get, you get given their stuff, mm-hmm. you sell the stuff back to the child. Yes. Win, 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 unless you're yes, the child. Yes, except for the child. Mm. The sale of people... And that's how I think of it is, Mm. was also included now in the sale of widows. So that quo warranto that we talked about earlier with his feudal rights. Yes. People could now pay to marry the widow of a tenant in chief. That means any man who served under another as a vassal in the feudal hierarchy. You're the king. Everybody's your vassal. So hang on, what does, what does this mean in, in, in reality? 
In reality, what it means is the king used to have the right to marry off his own kinswomen and mm. get fees for that. Now, because the quo warranto has moved it around to meaning everybody's your vassal, mm. when your vassal passes away, you now have the right to sell off his widow for marriage. Everybody in the country. Everybody. Because everybody is technically the king's vassal. Mm. Right. Okay. This, of course, people would be buying the widows for the inheritance of the land from the deceased husband. Dudley was not the first to bring this up, but he was in charge of this aspect from 1504 on, and it expanded a great deal underneath him. The king signed each one of those, so he obviously had the king's approval. And I was wondering if this is the real reason the king was so enraged that uh, his sister or his wife's sister Cecily married without his knowledge or consent. All right, because he should. He, well, she would have been family anyway, wouldn't she? She would have come under the original. Yes, she would have. But then I looked into it. Her first marriage arranged under his reign netted him £2,000. I think I would be insulted if I was Cecily, because her husband was later given a £1,000 discount for good behavior. So she's now worth less. (laughs) I don't know why, but that seems like a slap in the face. You're actually not that good of a wife. Whack. It, it, it's just, it's insane. It's just one thing after, it's just one nothing on top of another on top of another. I mean, I, I didn't, I don't know how anybody managed to hold on to any money whatsoever in this time. They really didn't. I, oh gosh. I saw a note on one that I was going to, I wrote it down somewhere. Someone did an economic view of the nobility versus the king and that kind of thing. And apparently it was quite like scales tipping. Hmm. Before they started, Henry was practically bankrupt and the nobles owned everything. And by the end of Henry's reign, it was entirely the opposite. That's why Henry VIII ended up having so much power over everybody. Mm. Because he owned everything. People had to come back to Henry VIII to try to regain their lands and their power. It was completely gone. Yeah, I was wondering whether it worked out. I mean, how you can measure these things, I'm not sure, but given the immense power of the nobility, which pretty much dragged the War of the Roses on for all those years, yes, whether Henry pushing them down a bit was actually a good thing. But, I mean, from what you said, he's overdone it to such an extent. <laughs> and it wasn't just the nobility. It can't be a good thing. No, it wasn't. It was everybody yeah. was in it, wasn't it? I keep worrying about the washerwomen. Mm. Like, were they being told they had to pay depending on how many sheets they were washing? <laughs> I wouldn't put it past them. All of these offices and commissions made the new men. They really did. Mm. Edmund, in particular, very powerful. In addition to raising revenue, Dudley, when asked about his role, has been quoted that the king was much set to have many persons in his danger at his pleasure. And that was what he provided. So people had to be, were meant to be frightened of the king. Yes. That was, that's the bottom line, really. And Edmund was the main deliverer of these people to the king. Yes, it made him powerful, but also, I would argue, in great danger. I mean, he now had to walk around with guards. And everybody was trying to find a way to take Mm. him down. They had to have been. Yeah, I mean, I'm just surprised he lasted so long. 
<laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Dudley was integral in designing the methods and readings of laws in such a way to be able to do this for the king. By the end of Henry's reign, Edmund, along with a few other men, were creating and refining the terms under which all the commissions were operating. In other words, they were redesigning how the government ran. Let's take what's been and scrap it and start fresh, and it really is turning into a dictatorship. So that's that's pretty much pushing out Parliament and just having the the king with the council beneath him, and that's it. Yes, and it all comes back to that quo warranto. Mm. I don't have to talk to you because I am a feudal lord. These are my vassals. They owe it to me anyway. Mm. I don't have to go through Parliament for taxes because under the quo warranto, it is my right. Mm. I wonder how much Henry believed that, whether it's just expedient for him to believe it. I don't know. When we read all those books on Henry before we started, Mm -hmm. so we'd have a good idea of what was going on, I honestly felt like there was almost a light switch that changed when, right after Jasper and Elizabeth and Arthur died. He was a different man. You go from hearing about him being jovial and and quite sociable to being a recluse and evil. He was also getting very ill by this point, wasn't he? TB. Yes. Yeah. The failure of Edmund upholding justice, I think, is what sits worst with me. Bray and Dudley are the ones that put in the notations of how much litigants had to pay to the king to look favorably on their cases. You're going to court. This is how much you have to pay just to make us look favorably on it. It doesn't dictate that you're going to get off, but you might get a lesser sentence. Mm. We can't say for certain that Dudley was one... The one to suggest or demand payment on every occasion. But in one case, against the Earl of Derby, Dudley, along with Lovell and Wyatt, were paid a great deal of money to select favorable counselors for the case. And if the case was won, they indented the Earl for lands worth 50 pounds a year to be given to the king. And they were also given awards for their generous behavior. So that's just an out-and-out bribe, isn't it? Yes. Hmm. Cases like these make me think that there couldn't have possibly been actual justice in the last years of Henry's reign. No. If you could afford it, you were going to get the result you wanted. If you had no money, you had nothing. Hmm. There was no option. It must have been such a dark time if you got a letter to appear before the council. Indeed, yeah. I was thinking, if we had a subjectivity round... Um, Negative no. 50. No, no, no. <laughs> no, you really wouldn't want to be alive no. in England at this point. No. And if all that doesn't turn you against him, maybe his hypocrisy will. <laughs> I thought we'd seen a fair amount of that, but okay, go on. <laughs> Dudley demanded that the church and all church personages live up to the professed standards, and he would find them if they didn't. What what standard standards of morality? Or... Uh, morality, poverty, and celibacy. Oh, and right. he was willing to eject priests from their living that did not follow the poverty or celibacy rules. Well, I mean, it could be hypocrisy, <laughs> but he hadn't said he was going to live by these rules, did he? 
No, but he's he's going around the law everywhere mm. he can, and yet he's doing this. And to keep on mm. going with this, he wanted the lay people to take their religious ideals and responsibilities seriously. And how on earth he could have missed how hypocritical this was, I don't know. But what, what an, business is it of his? What an ass! He's not in. <laughs> he's not in the church. It's nothing to do with him. He he is either religious and blind to his own sins, or was just lording his power over them and didn't care and thought it was hilarious. He preached that people should follow the church and not sin. He was vocal against pluralism. Um, that is the belief that everyone should be safe to worship no matter what their religion is. And surprisingly, this was being discussed and debated. Mm. But he then promoted clerics that are known to be pluralists. And then he's finding clerics that he likes that have paid him enough money. And he's given them a living, even though they're a pluralist. And if we think, oh, that's not so bad, just wait. In some cases, his appointments to posts, which he got that power, were so horrible that he had to go get a papal dispensation for his decision. Meaning, hang on, I think I've missed something here. Meaning. <laughs> okay, so he's deciding who is going to get a priest job. Yeah, and he's choosing people on the basis of how much they pay him. Yes, but they are so unsuitable that he had to get the Pope's permission to go against the rules to allow that person to keep that position. Right. Although, presumably, he can also find them for not doing their job properly. Probably. And he probably <laughs> did. <laughs> I just think that's ridiculous. You picked somebody so unsuitable yes. that you had to go to the Pope to say, yeah, yeah, it's okay. Well, if you can pick a brothel creeper to, uh, what was what was he? <laughs> Customs for wool. Customs, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> We talk about why he might have done all this, but ultimately Dudley managed to gain an immense amount of wealth through his position and his bribes. That's probably why then, isn't it, really? Yeah. <laughs> I think we have the why. <laughs> <laughs> he himself was valued at over 300 pounds annual land income and his coin and goods over 5,000 pounds. And we're like, okay, well, that sounds pretty good. But keep in mind, he only had six years to make that. Mm. So he made enough that he could live like a lord in six years. And if he could have kept going under Henry VIII, he could yeah. have exponentially, probably, built on his his money. Yeah. Unlike Poynings, Dudley was not in the least militaristic. He didn't fight. I don't even believe he was trained in any martial arts, save for the bow that most were trained in for hunting. That's fair enough. I mean, he's a lawyer. I mean, yeah, it seems fair enough. <laughs> He'll just stand there. This is not legal. Yes. Until you pay me. <laughs> and then suddenly it will be. He was later required to provide men and arms for the lands that he controlled. When his house was taken, he was found to have quite an arsenal, 157 bows, 60 bills, I believe they're bill hooks from the mm, sound I of it. I imagine so, yeah. 35 sheaves of arrows, 20 spears, 4 crossbows, armor for 41 men, 30 brigandines, 29 sallets, and 29 white coats with green fringe. So that's type of armor for people. All so in is the that... Tudor colors. All oh, right. I was going to say, is, was that to provide the king with with the, the, the men he needs to fight mm -hmm. or was that to protect himself in his own house 
No, this was entirely for the king. Everything that right. he had had the Tudor badges emblazoned on everything. Because I seem to remember there was a siege, wasn't there, of his house? Is that right? Or was that no? Oh, it's not Dudley. Up with somebody else. Maybe there will be of Empson. I haven't started him yet. Fifteen oh nine. Henry was again ill. He proclaimed the panel for monetary restitution again, and formed mm -hmm. another panel again. Oddly, Dudley was part of both panels, and yet some claimants did manage to gain restitution. I found that really odd. <laughs> mm. That is an admission of guilt. <laughs> I bet he didn't. He wouldn't have seen it like that. Some people say no. It's not an admission of guilt. Some have argued that this just proves that Edmund was doing what he was told. He wasn't actually doing it for his own gain, but I don't buy it. No. He he gained too much personally for him to just do. And also, what told by Henry? It doesn't seem. Yes. It doesn't seem as if Henry is. I mean, this is so involved. There's so much to it that I can't imagine that Henry's behind it all. He might, no, he, he might be, tweak, be tweaking the strings now and again, saying, "Oh, yeah, we need money," but yeah, he's not the one. He's not the lawyer. No, and, and this is one person out of multiple people in the council. Mm. How could the king know what all of them are doing all the time? Mm. I don't know. This time, it was a committee of sixteen, and a general pardon was issued, so people who had not yet paid or were under bonds were released. After the king died, because he does die, 1509, mm -hmm. Dudley was promptly arrested, so he couldn't complete his last commission issued him by Henry VII. He was too busy in the tower. Hmm. Ha! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dudley was charged with constructive treason. That alone says fall guy. Constructive, yes, constructive. Yes. Meaning what in this sense? Okay. According to the Encyclopedia Britannica for Law, constructive treason is treason, this is going to be long-winded, treason imputed to a person from his conduct or course of actions, though none of his separate actions amounts to treason. In Dudley's specific case, the charge was that he was, quote, encompassing the death of the king. That means to imagine the death of the king. And to... I wouldn't have thought he'd do that. I mean, he's no. got everything hanging on the king. Yep. I'd have thought that's the one thing that they could have picked on that he oh. wouldn't be guilty of. <laughs> I, okay. When I say encompassing death of the king, what that meant was he was anticipating King Henry VII's death. Hmm. So he's preparing the future. Right. If you remember uh, yeah. Anne Boleyn's, one of her swain, their reason for death wasn't that they were having an affair. It was that he was imagining the death of the king. Mm. That's a big saying, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And he was also, to quote, falsely, feloniously, traitorously conspired, imagined, and compassed how and in what manner he, with great force of men and armed power, might hold, guide, govern the king and his council against the wishes of the king, either by himself or others, according to the will and intention of the said Edmund, and falsely and traitorously and totally deprive the king of his royal liberty, and make and move discords, divisions, dissensions amongst the magnates, counselors of the king and his kingdom, and that if by him, the said Edmund, or by others, his adherents, the king and council should refuse to be ruled, held, and governed in the before-mentioned matter, the completely to destroy the king and to depose, remove, and deprive him from his royal authority. 
That's one sentence. (laughs) (laughs) The Tudors love a run-on sentence. So they're actually accusing him of wanting to coup. Yeah, so essentially Edmund was supposedly gathering an army to take over the kingdom and to take control of King Henry VIII, if not to become king himself. Mm. I was again able to use the past on letters as a source for this. In a few of the letters, they were discussing how the justice was going bad, and as they put it simply, perverted Mm. under Dudley and Henry VII. When it really had. This charge specifically, I think, is one of those times I have to agree, but it's under Henry VIII, but Henry VIII isn't pulling the strings yet. Remember, his Mm. Margaret is, and the counselors are. So who arrested him? He was arrested under the charge from... um, Henry VIII's signature, but the other counselors, Hussey being one of them that we spoke about earlier, Mm. signed the warrant. So at this point, Henry didn't want to rule. He was 18. He was very caught up in being with Catherine and he had these dreams of glory. Things were going bad and Dudley and Empson were pulled and arrested. But then there was a possibility of a pardon coming along. So then we had to go back to the fact that people started rioting again about certain things, so they made them scapegoats. So at least they had somebody from the past reign that could die for the evils of the reign. Yeah, I should imagine they made very good scapegoats. I mean, people would have been only too happy to see them go. Except because of what I've, everything I've learned, I don't feel that they're a scapegoat. They did it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they were right in there. <laughs> oh, man. But if you were looking for for someone to push, they you didn't were the have ones to push. To mm, no, <laughs> just step back. <laughs> step one, step back. Oh, look! <laughs> there is, unfortunately, there is no evidence of him gathering men. So while I say no. yes, he was doing bad things, he wasn't actually doing what he was charged with. Well, that's it. Yeah, it seems unlikely. Um, those are the things for which he's charged. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I can imagine you might, if you think, if you know the king's ill. You would make preparations for for a change. Even Margaret Beaufort was making those preparations for... Yeah, I mean, how could you not? I mean, you've, you need to think ahead. Yes. You're not necessarily thinking, oh, great, he's going to die. You're just thinking, right, well, the king is going to die. Yes. And when he does, I need to make sure I do this, 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 and this. Yes. Mm. But that wasn't allowed. That was incredibly no. tricky. We will see that... A thin line being danced again when Elizabeth dies. Mm. I mean, it is a very thin line between saying that and actually organising the death of <laughs> death of the monarch. So yeah, mm. you can see why they're paranoid about it. Yeah. When Edmund was chosen as a fall man, again, not necessarily, (laughs) his London house was taken, and in it they found a counting house that was noted and astonished people and, quote, akin to the king's. So he had a treasury like you would find in the king's treasury. What, in the amount of it, or...? It included not only money and bills, but evidence he was holding against people for the king. So he had a lot of money, he had all these bonds that he had taken from people, and then evidence. So you would think that all that would be kept somewhere safe, but he kept it at his own home. That was the astonishing part. Mm. The perception was that he was withholding it from the king. So he was keeping Mm. a portion when he shouldn't have been. He retained his own records as well as records with the king. So you had two ledgers, 
One was his and one was the king's. Did they tally? They did. So nobody has said yeah. that they were different. I think he was just keeping his own records hmm, and they that's matched. That's fair enough. Yeah. So although they said he had this counting house and, oh, my God, he was keeping it from the king, there's absolutely no evidence of that because the ledgers on both and the one that Henry signed matched exactly what he had in his own house. I wish I knew if the evidence he was holding was being withheld from the king. Because mm. it would be nice to know how much Henry actually had in his hands or or knew about. Because if it wasn't in his hands, do you think it was ever presented to him? Since other evidence was within the king's court? I don't know. Mm. It's hard to tell. Yeah. He retained a large library, including a book of statues. He was a lawyer after all, and books were frightfully expensive, so that was noted just how many books he had. Dudley was also unique for how closely he worked with the king. The other new men would specialize in particular fields, while it appears that Dudley was specifically used by the king as an auditor of finances that all the other new men and counselors brought in. So he worked beside the king constantly. They both signed the same pieces of paper. They were working beside each other a lot. And they were looking at what other people were doing and checking up on them. Yes. Mm. So he must have been fairly unpopular, even with the people. <laughs> that he worked with. Pretty, yeah, the pretty awful yeah. people that he was working with. It doesn't appear to be a problem between him and Empson. They worked together quite well to gain a lot of money, and I didn't find any dissension between the two of them. They come across as a pair, mm. which is, I think, why both of them ended up being in trouble, which we will cover Empson's part on his end. I know he may not have committed treason, but he did defraud, steal, and imprison people illegally without any mercy. This was mentioned elsewhere, but not in his actual charge, which I found really dumb. Like, you've got absolute proof of some things, and you're going to mm. ignore that and go for the treason trial instead, which you don't have proof of. Mm. I, I didn't understand that. But at the same time, I didn't have any sympathy with him other than the fact that it was an automatic <laughs> death sentence. Yeah, that's probably what they were going for. That we well, there were... was no other way to go. There was no lifelong prison sentences at these, this time. There was no prisons at all. Not in the sense that we think of them. They were weird accommodations. Holding bays, yeah. Yeah. Later, when Dudley was in prison, he claimed that some of the fines were never intended to be paid. They were like our current bail. They were imposed to ensure loyalty. If the person broke the arrangement they had made with the king, then they would have to pay. He also wrote a list of fines, bonds, etc., etc. It was just this long list of things that he acknowledged that they were politically motivated, excessive, or reasonable. So he listed out every fine that he had given and said whether or not they were okay and sent it to that panel for restitution we mentioned earlier for them to give back money to certain ones. So if even he accepted that some of them were done fraudulently. Yes. Mm. But not but not yeah, many. But No, and he is in prison at this time. Is he just trying to do anything he can to say, Well, I'm sorry, let me I out? I imagine so. We that's what that's what you do, isn't it? Yeah. And you would think that anything Dudley was involved in would have been reversed because he's now in prison for treason, but that didn't happen. Well, yeah. Most of what he did was upheld. It was still bringing in the money, I suppose, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, could you imagine King Henry giving back money? No. Henry VIII, yeah. I mean, he didn't do that either. 
This may be one of the unusual times that we have very much the specifics of a death. Edmund was decapitated for his supposed crimes on the 17th of August, 1510 on Tower Hill. And, oddly, this is a luxury. Mm. May not think so. He wasn't hang drawn and quartered. Yeah, he was born without a title. Treason charges should have led to him being hung drawn and, cor- hung, drawn, and quartered. I'm going to clarify that because I don't know if everybody knows what that is. We don't have that in North America. I don't think anybody has it anymore. <laughs> we don't. We don't. We don't have it here. No. <laughs> <laughs> from what I understand, it comes from a saying of the original person who was hung, drawn, and quartered, which was Daffod ap Griffid. He was drawn for treason, hanged for homicide, disemboweled for sacrilege, and beheaded and quartered for the plotting of the king's death. Which meant they're dragged through the streets attached to a horse's tail, then hanged alive and brought down, revived, then disemboweled, sometimes castrated, Entrails burned before them, and then the body was cut into four quarters mm-hmm. to be placed in four areas yeah. of the kingdom with the head above the tower. Or, mm-hmm. not the tower, the London Bridge or something. This manner of death was used for both commoners and knights, and he was not mm-hmm. knight. So he wasn't even up into the knighthood. So why was he why was he let off with a light beheading, then? Nobody knows. I expect, Nobody he, knows. I expect he paid somebody. Perhaps. I'll mm-hmm. give you all my money that you've already taken. I couldn't leave this alone, so I started wondering if any nobleman had ever been subject to hang, drawn, and quartering. Because in the 1700s, yes. there's a comment saying, no, no nobleman has ever done that. So they beheaded somebody instead. I'm but sure. I found two. Yeah, I'm sure there have been. Daffod ap Griffith, I don't know if I'm, I'm probably pronouncing that horribly, that's, he was the last Welsh Prince of Wales in 1283. Their argument there is he was not an English nobleman. Mm. But then you go to Andrew Harclay, first Earl of Carlisle in 1323. He was English and he was hung, drawn, and quartered. Mm. So, yes, two nobles had been done. But sadly, or maybe perhaps not sadly, that's the end of Dudley. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> you never have to read about him again. <laughs> no, now you've got to start on Empson. <laughs> yes, I'm. I'm probably going to jinx myself here. There's no way Empson could have been that bad. <laughs> I'm hoping not. <laughs> right? Are we rating this 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 lovely man? We are rating okay. this man. Amphiboly. Amphiboly. This is our entry ground. How devious were they? Author Stephen Gunn. Man, he's a fantastic <laughs> historian and writer. I, I loved everything I have have read of his. Journal articles as well as his book. Like even his journal articles read as narrative. It's not one of those really dry historical journal writings. He said, In less happy instances, victims were batted backwards and forwards between Empson and Dudley and their respective underlings in a nightmare of exploitative prosecution. I don't think you can find a more damning accusation of intrigue against people. <laughs> he sought out evidence that didn't exist solely for the purpose of ensuring subjects were in debt to the king. He creatively read the laws, so it said what he wanted to. There was a reason he was chosen as mm. a fall guy. And he imprisoned people without any evidence just because he was waiting for them to get bored. Mm. 
I don't see how this how he can't get a ten. I mean, that's it's it's he's the sort of person that we chose this this round for. I think he's got to have a ten. I agree. Yeah, I mean, in a way, you feel I don't want to give him anything for anything. But... <laughs> no, because he's a horrible, horrible person. Yes, <laughs> but you gave him a ten as well. Yes, yeah, so that's a twenty. Or I think our only twenty so I far. Think so yeah. Well, for Amphiboly. Mm. Antiperistasis. Antiperistasis. This is rise and fall. Did they climb or plummet? Did he rise? If you think about it, he was not really a nobleman or a knight. He got rich. Yes. He did gain power, but he also was executed. And he gained a lot of money, but all that was taken away when he was attainted for treason. Mm. So he went up, sort of. Like, this is a hard one. He didn't gain rank, but he did gain a lot of money and power. He didn't gain rank, but if he gains power, I think power in a way is more important mm-hmm. than rank. I mean, anyone can. I mean, poor little the Earl of Warwick. He had, yes, he was an earl, but a lot of good it did him. Mm-hmm. Whereas this bloke, I mean, he has he's pretty much second second to the king, really, isn't he? As far as this sort of thing is concerned. Yes. So I would say he's gone up, definitely, because he's uh, politically he's gone up, even if he hasn't actually been given a title that goes with it. Yeah, I can agree with that. Yeah. Um, that's a difficult one. He, he wasn't. I I thought he really was not dragged from the gutter, but I thought he'd started lower, but. Uh, oh, what to go for, though? I'm thinking seven. Really? I was thinking a four. Oh, right. Because he didn't rise... I suppose, yeah, I was thinking I was thinking of five being the up or downy bit. Yes, you go from up from five or down from five. But yes, no, zero is not moving at yeah. all, isn't it? Yeah, no, I think I probably have been a bit... Yeah, I would say I'd give him more than four, though, I think, because he did get an awful lot of power yes, he did. over an awful lot of people. I think I'd go, f- I think I'd still go for six, though, okay. because I'm going to stick with yeah. my four just for the fact that he would have been given he got power in a way, but the power did not it wouldn't wouldn't have continued when Henry VIII came in, even if they hadn't done the treason. Uh, it was a mm. completely there was nothing set in stone. He wasn't given an earldom or anything that would have kept that power going. So it was transient, mm. even though you would think he had a lot of it. Yeah. But I suppose well, at the moment, not at the moment he died, but just a little previously to when he died, he was an immensely powerful person, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. I mean, he did plummet. So that's a 10 in total. Yeah. Nice easy math so far. We've got 20 and 10. That's good. Martyrdom. Martyrdom. How far were they willing to go? No. (laughs) Hmm. No. I mean, the fact he was executed... God, he did, didn't he? And you can't even say he was willing to die for anything. All of his actions were to an advancement Mm. of himself, yes. When he was taken to the tower, he defended himself by saying, I never offended in treason or thing like it to my knowledge as my sinful soul be saved. 
No, I think he's probably right in that case. I don't think he was treasonous, necessarily. No, but he didn't even stand by what he had done in anything that he had done for Henry. One thing we're going to bring up here is a book that he wrote that is still being read today. It's called The Tree of Commonwealth. Mm -hmm. He wrote it, it seems like, with the aim of explaining himself, but also trying to make... He dedicated it basically to Henry VIII, so I think it was a please don't kill me, read this Mm. book. It it puts things in a fairly good light. He didn't write solely with the aim of casting a good light on his actions or the rule of Henry VII, so he does say, whoops. Uh, He referred obliquely to Henry's extortion as similar to, quote, insatiable extortion of the subjects by Henry III. Mm. So he's using... Basically telling Henry VIII that his father was a bad king. Yes. He also criticized the imprisonment. Hey, this is hypocritical. (laughs) He criticized the imprisonment of people as a method of gaining cooperation. (laughs) Well, if you're thinking of adding points to his martyrdom, it's really not. No. (laughs) No. I don't think anything he's done could possibly be considered martyrdom. I mean... No, he is desperately trying to not be martyred here. Mm. And if you say that, yeah, he may have been willing to die for it, um, no. No, (laughs) We have records records of his plan to escape the tower when he was attainted. (laughs) The only reason he was not going, why he didn't do it is because he thought he was going to be pardoned. (laughs) God, he must have been kicking himself then. He had the chance to escape. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) because <laughs> oh. i'm going to be pardoned and then no <laughs> well get easy maths i'm going for zero as am i all right so we've gone down in 10 so far b team b team this is our posterity round what did they leave behind that still resonates today b team we know more about dudley than one would expect for a few reasons first He was in a position of trust with Henry VII and was able to promote himself and be noted within the records of the court, both social court and the law courts. So he is within a lot of resources. Second, he was then notorious after Henry VII died and made a convenient scapegoat. So he was vilified Mm -hmm. for what he did just to make sure that everybody was very focused on the fact that he was the one dying. And there was a ballad, the ballad of Dudley Empson. Yes. And then three, while in the Tower Awaiting Sentence, he wrote the Tree of Commonwealth, which I mentioned earlier. The most often we get hearing of a subject's thoughts is through letters they may have written or received. And that's rare. Those letters don't continue very long. Dudley is going to be a rare exception. He wrote his book at the end while he was in the tower. And his book gives us a glimpse into his mind, though I believe it may not be entirely candid. Like I said, I think he was trying to get out of a death penalty. The tree of Commonwealth was a metaphor on society. The fruit of prosperity, dignity, tranquility, etc. being supported by the roots of loving God. Hmm. But also peace and justice, hmm. which he didn't really do much for. No, I'm just thinking none of that could be appropriate to him. No. What I thought hilarious in this was that he wrote a warning 
that royal counselors might use their power for their proper advantage and sometimes for avenging of their own quarrels, grudges, or malice. No, yes, you surely did. not. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if he was saying this in reference to himself or about others and just not noticing what he did. I don't know. Yeah, maybe he had no self-awareness whatsoever. That's kind of what I felt like with this, with some of his comments. It's like, you're not even seeing what you're own doing or what you're doing yourself. Dudley did believe strongly in education being a requirement for all. He felt there should be tutors not only in current religious houses, noble and wealthy homes and colleges, but in towns to teach those that could not afford it. In his will, he now added a requirement to the priest that he endowed to pray for his first wife's soul to additionally teach the local choir boys. Although, in the end, he had no money. I was about to say, did he actually have any money? To- <laughs> <laughs> no. But the Tree of Commonwealth is still being read. It is still in curriculums in some areas for law. Right. So you can't say that people don't know about mm. him. Dudley's relationship to Henry VII is also up for debate. He had the king's trust in that he was given access to sensitive information, but he does not come across in any writings to love the king. This has nothing to do with Batim, but I Mm -hmm. wanted to put this in. All of his comments written anywhere appeared to be more that he was in love with the power of his position and what he was able to do with that power. We don't see friendship here. We see two people, him and the king, cooperating to gain and hold power at all costs. Dudley also became very wealthy through his position. Surprise! Mm. Well, that's interesting because, yeah, when you hear about Henry VIII and Wolsey and then Cromwell, there is an interesting relationship between them, isn't there? Yes. But maybe it's because we don't hear much about that sort of thing in Henry VII's reign anyway. Yeah. But, yeah, maybe they wasn't. there wasn't that relationship at all. Although the communications, you can see sort of the king is fond of certain people just by the way he describes them, my most beloved or my most trusted or... That kind mm. of thing. And that doesn't come across with any of his communications with Dudley that I found. Nothing. Mm. It was just very... I, might, I wonder if he had complete contempt for him, but he was immensely useful to him. Possibly. And brought in lots of money. Possibly. <laughs> so, yeah, he was wealthy, but none of it passed to his sons. It was... Uh, he was attainted. It was stripped from him and shared out amongst the new king's counselors and friends. He left absolutely nothing behind except for that book. But we do still have the book. And he left a grandson. And he left a grandson, yes. Now, how did the grandson, if if he was attainted, I mean, how did the, well, I suppose we'll have to we'll wait, find out in wait his for son's part episode. two. Yes. yes. <laughs> that will be in Henry VIII's. Yeah. No, it won't. It will be with Mary. Nope. All right. Going back. Yeah, well, Edward and Mary is when we'll see his son. Okay. Yeah, because I haven't put him in yet. No. Um... Yeah, well, yes, as you say, there's more to him than you'd think. But, I I mean, as far as general fame's concerned, unless you happen to be a lawyer, you won't have heard of him. No. Unless you've read The Winter King, which was quite quite a popular book, and he appears quite <laughs> often in that. Yep. Um, so I can't go very high. Okay. And I don't really want to give him the... The satisfaction of thinking that he's, <laughs> no. that he's remembered. We're remembering him now, but only with complete and utter disgust. Um, so I'll go for a three, I think. Okay. <laughs> I was going to give him a four just for the fact that 
we have writing in his own hand that is still yeah. in use. I went to order it, but it was going to take 17 weeks to get to me. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I couldn't include it, and I ended up with so much stuff. The other reason I was going for a four was I was actually really taken aback by how much resources there were about him. When mm. we compare it to John de la Pole, which was <laughs> nothing, you yeah. would think that you'd find absolutely nothing for this person as well, but he's everywhere. Hmm. No, I, I assumed that we were going to just be saying, right, well, Dudley and Empson did did this with the courts and the council, and Dudley and Empson did that. But there's, yeah, he's, there's a lot more to him yeah, he's, than I was anticipating. In most of the sources, if you go to the sources that were um, historians in the 17, 18, 1900s, more often than not, it was them using his him as an example of why commoners should not be given power. <laughs> <laughs> but at least they were still talking about him. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> okay, so that's a total of seven for a team. Flaunt a bleeding flaunt. Flaunt a flaunt. This is our portraiture round. Okay, so portraiture. This is the portrait. Oh, yes. Yes. And he's the one on the right, I think, isn't he? He's this guy, yeah, the one yeah. on the right. And the little woolly hat. Who looks like a child to me. He does, he looks like a little imp. Yeah. The blokey on the left looks quite... Angry. Evil. <laughs> yeah, but the little <laughs> one on the right looks quite frightened of the one on the left. and He really does. Yes. And that's the king in front. Yeah. They, they do look as if they're all conniving together, don't they? When I first saw it, I wondered if the two, like the king and Empson, were actually about to walk over Dudley. <laughs> yeah, he does look a li little leprechaun. It's quite yeah. surprising. Yeah. I quite like that picture because he doesn't look at all like you expect. Maybe that's how he got away with it because everyone thought, oh, it's just little, little imp Dudley. Yeah. And then it turned out, no. He was a lot worse. So what we're looking at is a full-length portrait from head to toe. Um, you've got Empson on the left with his back to us, so you're getting a side profile of his face. Yeah, quite um, a striking nose, but I'm sure we'll come to that Very, next, next time. That's a Roman nose, mm. right? Yeah. Straight, yeah. straight from the forehead. Yeah. Uh, you've got King Henry in the middle, again with his back to us. He's got a walking stick. He's wearing his ermine robes and a very, very jeweled collar. Mm. And then you've got Dudley on the right, and he does look afraid mm. and young, like he looks... And like a little boy, yeah. Like a little boy. If we go to a close-up of his face, it's not much of a close-up, but... Mm. Yeah, he looks very much afraid. I wonder if that was his actual expression during the portrait painting. Quite possibly. I mean, people have often said to me, don't worry, it'll never happen. I think, what? What? <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about something entirely different. <laughs> I found it interesting that they're not really wearing, unless the painter just didn't include it, but they're wearing dark clothing and their chains of offices, maybe because they're not noblemen, are, are just mm. gold chains. Are those you don't, anything to do with the council? Or? Possibly. They were both on the king's council. Yeah. At the time of this painting, Empson was the president of the king's council, so I would have thought he would have had a bigger chain of office. Instead, mm. it's just basically gold chain link. 
When we're talking about chains of office, they're actually very large. They're about three or four inches in width or thickness, and they go from the shoulder to the shoulder. So it's not a necklace around their neck like you mm. would think. It would be draped around more like a cowl. Yeah, you still see it with the um, town mares. Oh, yes. Yeah, we have that in Canada. I'm like, mm. why, did, why did we bring that over? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Doesn't look comfortable. <laughs> so, yeah, what do you think? It's a difficult one because I like it because he's not – I'm going to give him a five because he's not what I, I think he should look like. And I quite like it because of that. Same here. Hmm. I was going to go for a six. It doesn't have a lot of symbolism. No. But just the fact that he's he with the is, king. And it, it shows the conspiracy almost that we've just discussed. The mm. fact that they are really close together. They look like they're having a discussion and it's serious. And they're also sort of looking out as well to, sort of, to check whether anybody else is listening. Yes. Yeah. It does look highly suspect. Yeah. Okay. okay. Eleven. Sorry, what did you say you were giving it? I said five. <laughs> five, and I went with the six. So that's fifteen point or five point five for flaunt a flaunt when we put it all together. Oh, yeah. So that's forty-two point five. Is that right? Uh, forty-two point five. Yes. Well, that's pretty pretty good, really. No, that's not bad at all. But to get four points for intrigue, that did set him up set him up quite nicely. Yeah. Okay, hmm. that is. Uh, we are not going to pull another person because. Hang on, have... are we going to ask a question? Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> We've got okay. to ask the question. Okay, let's ask the question then. <laughs> are they too delicious or what? Well, not bloody likely. <laughs> not at all. No, 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 no. said yes i think i would have quit <laughs> <laughs> oh no i don't think we haven't come across anybody that awful no and i left out so much that made him even worse <laughs> it just it, it seemed very modern it seemed far more of a modern totalitarian state than the sort of rather unnuanced attacking people with armies that we've had up to now yeah this is sneaky Terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely horrific totalitarian state stuff. Yeah. And like, I don't know. I hope I got it across that a lot of it was just him acting with, like, when he put people in prison, he didn't have to get a king's signature for that. Mm. So he was just acting on his own with no checks to what he was Mm. doing. Like Berio in Russia. Yeah. Hmm. Yep, well, as you say, we don't have to pull another one because you've got you've got his lovely mm-hmm. friend, his lovely Roman-nosed friend. I've got Emson, and I'm hoping I don't have to take antidepressants for that one. <laughs> 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 oh, I'm so glad we're done that one. Uh, well, we've got um, Alexander next, who was who was just as corrupt, but in a rather more jolly way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> That is the end of our episode on Edmund Dudley. We hope you've enjoyed it, if that's the right <laughs> word. And will join us for the next episode on Pope Alexander VI. Thank you for listening. You can find details of the podcast and contact us on 
In the meantime, wilt thou go? I will go. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Phew. I'm the malicious manipulator. The twister of the law. I'll quo warranto you senseless, and then I'll take some more. I'm the counsel learned in law. It's time to be afraid. I'll extrajudicial you to the grave and beyond. I will never, never go away. And this is where you start paying. Thank you.